Welcome to the Earwig Review, episode 13. Good morning. First thing to note, new logo. Designed by the great Lumi Hanno, who you can see on the podcast apps brand new logo and I'm very happy with it and not that I didn't like the old one but I thought this one felt proper and uh, and what the show needed to celebrate the 13th episode so very excited and that inspired a redesign of the website www.joshuahillelbarski.com j-o-s-h-u-a-h-i-l-l-e-l-b-a-r-s-k-y dot com and you'll see visit the site you got the brand new logo the earwig review three buttons listen on apple spotify youtube then you have the daily posts underneath it and then below that instead of five books you will only see one it will look similar to the old book for those who saw it the old cover of herman's jail but now it's herman's jail and other stories and I and you can click it and it will take you directly to the new book that includes all those short stories in one book Herman's Jail and other stories you'll see the new earwig publishing logo which I think looks great on the on the opening page there you'll see a dedication to my friends Katie and Paul and when I was writing a lot of these stories and putting this all together the passing of my two friends were very much on my mind in different ways and um, and that came through in the, in putting this together and when I was getting it done and somehow it occurred to me to make that dedication um, somehow meant a lot as far as the reason sometimes for writing stories um, and processing I guess what it what these people meant to me um, and that's ongoing, but I don't know. I don't really have the words for it, but seeing, seeing that there, you know, they both passed really suddenly and within a similar time range and the three of us, me, Katie and Paul, there's times the three of us spent, were together, just the three of us and to think I'm the only one left of of that group 
Um, I don't know. So I wanted to give the dedication to those friends, and I think they would. Uh, I think they would understand it. So I'm. I'm very happy to have that book together. I was going on before about needing to do further edits, further revisions, going on more and more. And I did, but eventually I just kind of hit a point where I, I just wanted to put it all together and call it finished. And maybe one day down the road, I can always revise some of the stories if it if it's time for that. But I'd made this long editing schedule that I'd talked about on the show probably for a few weeks and I was going with it and doing all the audiobooks and learning and at this point it feels like just putting it together and letting it go and moving on to the next story with full focus editing with full focus was the thing to do if you're reading if you know if you see some input if you see some mistakes i misspoke if you see some mistakes or you have any notes it's a work in progress with these digital things i'd encourage you to get in touch maybe say a few words give some feedback or maybe not fuck it it's done enjoy it the book's finished and uh let the typos live and die by their own fucking whatever who cares it's done <laughs> fucking herman's jail and other stories now available on the website and that's there now we got our usual posts but before i get into it let me talk about a, a strange experience from yesterday afternoon when I we went to the bookstore me and my wife me and Miriam went to the bookstore and I wanted to get her a book because we're going on vacation soon and I was I was becoming concerned that she didn't have a book to read that she was excited about and it's a long flight and you know when you're on vacation what better thing to do than than read all the best vacations you know you get that really focused reading time some you know not all vacations but the good ones the really good ones you can kind of really get into a, a book so we had some time yesterday we went to the bookstore and she found a book that she liked very happy and me there was three books i wanted but i and at the end i was in this whole train i thought i wanted this one and this one and this one but i put them back and i said listen i already have so more than enough books to last me probably for months from now and i gotta not go crazy so finish what I'm reading now and then go out and buy new books because you know how things can get that way. So I took all my 
self-control and put all the books back. And then we have her book, we go to the tell. And then this guy working at the store, he's like, hey, I noticed you looking at the Philip Roth books over there. I said, yeah. And, and he said, listen, I sell DVDs and records and it's only so often people come in and buy an actual book from us at this point. Going, he's going on this long kind of thing about that. He kept saying we were um, a, the glass of water in the desert for him. We were buying a real book, which I don't know if was if that's even true because I noticed other people in the fucking bookstore holding books, buying books. And, and, you know, it's not as dead as people make it out to be. So he's giving us the whole, this whole thing. Oh, yeah, it's so, so great. Buying this book, whatever. And he says, let me recommend a book to you. Okay. He comes back and he brings this book. And he puts it on the thing. And he's like, you know, I saw you looking at the Philip Roth books. And uh, I think you'll love this. You know, that, that book is really... Um, he's like it's not it's quite as blue as Philip Roth on and on and on explaining it just pitching this book and saying all these details about it and I was like uh, I don't know I'm good I'm, I'm okay thank you noted recommendation noted but but I, mean, I appreciate the uh, the excitement but you know I'm good and he says I insist I insist really you gotta buy this book he's like I'll give you a deal I won't, you know, I'll knock off a couple bucks off your tab. He's like, but I insist you have to buy this book. Like, you, you won't regret it. You're going to love it. If you're a fan of Philip Roth, you got to do it. And it's like, okay, if you feel so, how often does someone feel so strongly about recommending you a book, you know? So, fine. I'll just, just buy the book. What, you know, what's, why not? this guy's has such a genuine um reaction but in in my this gut feeling i just felt so began to feel rotten i began to feel like my stomach like a it just kind of turned and i had, was filled with regret and this odd it's an odd feeling but i'm just trying to do the right thing i'm not gonna go broke buying this book etc etc I leave the store, my mood just kind of starts to plummet, you know. And we go to the grocery store, we get all our stuff, and I'm just trying to be like, what the heck? What was that? There's something very wrong about that. I didn't, I just didn't like it. And we, you know, we go to the grocery store, and I think afterward we were kind of hungry, so we were eating snacks or whatever in the little grocery store sit-down area. We had crackers and, um, and this hummus dip and a granola bar and that was very nice truly i love just it was fucking snowing and it's got so cold out and we're just sitting there in this little like kind of community zone just eating snacks and whatever and i'm and i know my my wife is starting to get um how do you say she knows i'm in a kind of a mood and, and she wants to kind of cheer me up. And, uh, you know, she's like, oh, maybe we'll, let's, why don't we go get French fries at the, the place up the street? And she's trying to do things that'll make me happy. And I know I'm 
being a bastard, but I'm trying to kind of hold it in. And so I, I started talking about it. I'm like, that fucking guy, something about that. I just, that whole experience was odd. And I said, I don't, you know, it just wasn't right. Something about it. And I don't like it, but it is what it is. And she's like, oh, you know, like, it was, it was very, you know, why not? And she's right. Like, just let it go. And, uh, uh, why not just do the right, do a nice thing. He was trying to genuinely recommend this, this book, whatever we go home and still I'm looking at that book and I'm just thinking something's odd about that thing. This book that's sitting on the coffee table. I was reading the, the other book I was reading and then I was reading this other library book that I had and I'm just looking at this thing and something was wrong whatever I stopped thinking about it moved on in the morning I wake up and I'm thinking again what the fuck something about that so I googled the, the author's name and there it is the fucking guy who sold me the book was is the author he sold me his own fucking book under a pseudonym and he made in this he's got the pseudonym who's writing the the book with a fake picture inside of this this book that he self-published as well and he's selling it to me under the guise of someone else's book and i had to buy it and it was this great recommendation and that fucking pissed me off and there and there's a lot, I think a few reasons why, but truly it, it hit a big reaction for me. So I was like, what am I going to do? How do I want to deal with this? Do I just let it go? Just like, wow, that was, I didn't like it, but I'm going to let it go. And, or, or let me, let me continue. Do I, I could go back there and say, listen, man. You sold me this under some kind of false pretense, you know, recommending this book as though you were not the author and someone else was the author and you thought I would want to read it based on how you were seeing me browse through your store. So give me my money back and here's your here's your book back and I'm, you know, let's call it off. You know, call the, I could phone the store, there's a phone, go in person or email. Well, this is what I decided to do. Didn't want to, you know, rat out the guy to his boss. Maybe he run he owns the place. I have no idea. So I decide I'll write him an email off of his website to the pseudonym author, and I tell him I don't give a sh. You read under a pseudonym. I don't care. That's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But you duped me into buying this book. This was the long and short. And I sent it off one of these email forms off of a site. And I should have screenshotted it so I could have explained exactly what I said to him. But, you know, that was the that was the gist of it. And I said, uh, you know, I want to bring back this book because uh, I don't like that. little while, not too long after, he writes back quite politely and, say, and says, did he apologize? And... I can come back to this. He said, keep the book and come back to the store and I'll give you 
So the book only costs 10 bucks and he's saying, I'll give you back $20 cash. It'll be in an envelope taped to the register. Come and get it. So once he acknowledged it, I was like, okay, good. At least he acknowledged that and apologized and immediately I calmed down. It's all right. So, you know, we'll see what, uh, what happens next. I wouldn't mind going and talking about it and be like, listen, I get it, man. I, tr I really get it. I feel like I really understand the impulse to, you want, pe you want people to read your book and you're trying to do this great marketing effort and you're trying to get it out there and put all that effort in. And I think that you think it's kind of a cute thing that you're doing. You're not trying to deliberately uh, swindle or dupe people into, you know, into this whole thing. But on the other end, how it feels as an audience member or a customer, as soon as I feel like I'm being fucked with or I'm not being told the truth, that elicits a strong reaction. You have to be true to your, to the audience. The second they know you're, they're being bullshit, doesn't matter what industry you're in, if it's a fucking toothbrush, if it's a car, if it's a house, it's gotta be, there has to be some, as much truth as, there can't be any fucking bullshit, is all I'm trying to say. There's no bullshit allowed. And, uh, so that much is clear. But here's the, where things get interesting, I suppose, in, in the nature of, of the show, in the nature of writing fiction because it's all made up stories. So for him to make up a character, to be the one to sell the books and do this whole fiction, there's this meta component there. And I get it. As someone who writes fiction and who wants to build an audience based on that, I understand the impulse. But... You can't bullshit people, even when you're making up stories. It has to be true. There, you have to tell the truth, even if it's fiction. It's a, it's a complete. It's the irony of the the opposites of those two things. It's very difficult to wrap your head around. It's just a complete. It's a mind fuck easily. You need to write authentic bullshit to write fiction. It's untrue, but it has to be true. So I see what he's doing and I get it. And I, I know that his intention was not necessarily malicious at all. But I did not react well to that at all. And that's what happened. And it made me, it makes me think about my own work. First off, the impulse to write my entire name out, even my middle name on the covers of my books, on the website, all of the stuff. I feel like I'm trying to own what I'm doing to an egregious extent. 
to make no mistake that I'm the one who, who wrote this stuff because I understand the impulse to want to hide, to write these stories and pretend that it was someone else because it's scary to put your work out there. I get that, but you have to fucking do it. I, I value that very much. The measure of quality of what I'm trying to do every day with this writing stuff is to decrease bullshit, increase truth. That's where the work is. Writing a bunch of fucking insane shit and then going back in the editing process and trying to figure out what was bullshit and what was true and developing the truths and dealing with those as the that's the value of these made up stories so when I look back on the the one that I published self-published on an ebook, this Herman's Jail thing, I can recognize what's true about it. I think of the dedication on the front of the book for Katie, for Paul, my two friends who I knew very well, who both passed away. And I think about how true those feelings are towards them. and processing those feelings through the fiction, through the made-up stories, and how that, that tool can work. So I suppose to to look at the rest of the book well it's hard to, to know what's bullshit and what isn't I know what's true about the book and there's there's a lot there but there's parts that aren't as good and they probably have more bullshit in them if I realized it or not you don't always know you're writing bullshit sometimes you do sometimes you can see it and sometimes you can't but this is the most, this is the least amount of bullshit I could figure out so far. And on the next story, I have to recognize that as I'm writing it, what's true and what's bullshit. So that's kind of the, that's the territory. That's kind of the mess of, um, that's where I'm kind of tangled right now with everything. And uh, we'll see if I go get my 20 bucks back. Maybe I'll just leave it. We'll see. But, you know, I hope it was the honest thing to do is to tell him how, how this kind of went down on my end. Because who knows how many people he's doing this to. And maybe they're pissed off too. Or maybe they don't give a fuck. Maybe it's just me because of how my own ass I am with all of this stuff. But uh, lo and behold,
Let's see. Let's get into the posts here and see what went on. Beginning on November 13th, we got a story called Boston. A strange insecurity that I assume is pointless is in my stomach or perhaps it is my stomach. A feeling can have a physical attribute. That is how you qualify it as more than a feeling. I put on the song. I'm listening to it now. If I never heard that song again, it would be okay. But I know I will. That song will be listened to. That song will be listened to in perpetuity for at least the rest of my lifetime. The guitars sound good when they are congruent. Now, if I'm honest, I have to admit something. The feeling that I was trying to describe earlier, I think it might have resolved itself. It was that damn song, wasn't it? That's called Boston. Not bad. I think that that was a fun post. And it begins to reference the song More Than a Feeling by the band Boston. And I was trying to write about some insecurity that I was feeling and trying to figure out what it was and kind of went down this rabbit hole with the idea of more than a feeling put on the song and through listening to that song almost from an, a critical mind I realized that I actually felt better and that feeling found a found a home and and packed it in and that was it for that so good and straightforward enough let's go to the next post a box of glue sticks a horse's ass a sheer and utter glue stick, a turnpike, a pickerel, a box of glue sticks, a horse's ass, the mundane death of the pineapple pizza, some other random thing, and another incongruent one, a mundane deviation. I think I know which shirt I'm going to wear tomorrow, the striped one, a return to the sheer utter glue stick turnpike and pickerel some writing I am still considering what is desirable is congruity between your self-conscious and your natural being but there are those whose sanity flows from the conscious separation of those two things if there even is a natural being an irreducible self it is rather small I think and may even be the root of all impersonation. The natural being may be the skill itself, the innate capacity to impersonate. I'm talking about recognize 
made a typo there. I'll grab the source material in a sec. I'm talking about recognizing that one is actually a performer rather than swallowing the whole guise of naturalness and pretending that it isn't a performance but you. There is no you, Maria, any more than there's a me. Philip Roth, The Counterlife, 1986. So, lot to unpack here. Let me first find the original quote because I can see I transcribed it incorrectly. I realized that what I'm describing natural people divide themselves against illness. What was trying to do? What is desirable? Got it. What is desirable is congruity between your self-consciousness and your natural being. But there are those whose sanity flows from the conscious separation of those two things. If there even is a natural being, an irreducible self, it is rather small, I think. Comma. I think. Comma. And may even be the root of all impersonation. The natural being may be the skill itself, the innate capacity to impersonate. I'm talking about recognizing. There was the mistake. Recognizing that one is actually one is acutely one is acutely a performer. Comma rather than swallowing whole the guise of naturalness and pretending that it isn't a performance but you. There is no you, Maria, any more than there's a me. Now let me scale back a bit and talk just slightly before that starts. This is the beginning a little bit before. This is from Philip Roth, The Counter Life. And the whole, you know, I read this last week at the end of the show on episode 12 and here I am writing about it again a couple days later because I feel like I I wanted to record that I wanted to write down the quote because I wasn't done with it and then this is where it all starts to really fucking we gotta sort some something out here then I go back on Saturday to the bookstore that I was, this whole thing I was talking about with the guy. And I'm looking at all the Philip Roth books. And then this guy sees me looking at the Philip Roth books and then sells me his own book under a pseudonym. <laughs> he sells me this fucking his book under a pseudonym that he, and pretends that he's not the guy. Who wrote the book and he's just the, the bookstore salesman who's selling me this great author who's as good as philip roth is what he's telling me this is book if you like philip roth you're gonna love this this is just as good as poor noise complaint and he starts telling me all about his thoughts on poor noise complaint and asking me if i remember this detail and this and oh remember this line and and uh, this is and i wrote in my email to him in the subject line this is what the subject said poor noise complaint that was the that was my the subject and i'm sure he understood exactly what i meant by that this is what it says in the counter life also by philip roth i realize that what i am describing people divided in themselves 
is said to characterize mental illness and is the absolute opposite of our idea of emotional integration. The whole Western idea of mental health runs in precisely the opposite direction. What is desirable is congruity between your self-consciousness and your natural being. But there are those whose sanity flows from the conscious separation of those two things. If there even is a natural being, an irreducible self, it is rather small, I think, and may even be the root of all impersonation. The natural being may be the skill itself, the innate capacity to impersonate. I'm talking about recognizing that one is acutely a performer rather than swallowing whole the guise of naturalness and pretending that it isn't a performance but you. There is no you, Maria, any more than there's a me. There's only this way that we have established over the months of performing together and what it is congruent with with isn't ourselves but past performances we're has-beens at heart routinely trotting out the old old act and he goes on but i think that gets that's where i wanted to go yes i got carried away and read a little past there so if i'm so here's the first thing to just get out of the way this word congruent clearly has haunted my my mind a bit after this he, he repeats it a few times but then i said it here in earlier in the I said incongruent earlier in the post and then in the previous post I used the word congruent so there's something about that word that that kind of uh, became a virus in my mind so I'm clearly very concerned with this whole idea now he's talking about a separation between the natural being the and the self-consciousness so what i feel like i keep trying to do what i keep advocating for is to have the self-consciousness and the natural being i'm trying to um to meld those things as much as possible and i'm keep saying that that's the the met the only measure of quality that I can even see. And Philip Roth is saying, there are those whose sanity flows from the conscious separation of those two things. If there even is, he questions even the existence of a natural being, then, say so even if there, that thing is real, there even is a natural being, an irreducible self is rather small, I think, and may even be the root of all impersonation. Do I actually understand that? I don't know if I actually understand what he means at that point. If there is a natural being, an irreducible self, it is rather small. Sure, yeah, that I understand. If you could recognize who you are, it's, it's, it isn't a set of characteristics. It's not your personality. It's something different than that. It's how you, you, it's your intuition is what I would say. And it would be my guess that everyone's 
natural being that everyone's yeah sure all 8 billion people in the world's natural being could it be that it is relatively the same if not the same feeling it is what's true it is what's honest and it's your your intuition and it's when you know someone's bullshitting you it's what triggers and says and catches it it's also when you're communicating something and you know that you're being honest to me that's must be at the core of all people and that that is must be the self that's who you are and you need to know what that is and if you don't and if you hide from that that's where all the trouble begins that's where your anxieties form that's when you start separating from who you are that's when you start getting addicted to things when you start acting compulsively all of this bullshit all of the bullshit in life when you start trying to deceive people start trying to deceive yourself it's all just um, a conscious or self-conscious separation from that it's easy to use the spirituality and religious tools religious constructs to to perhaps um, verge on that territory to discuss that territory to uh, approach it at all I think commonly that's how it's often done that's how people get there there's there's an overlap there but I don't that's not necessarily the, the only way so I'm not talking about I'm not talking about spirituality I'm not talking about religion I'm talking about what your intuition of what you know is true regardless of any religious preferences leanings or beliefs any spiritual ideas um, no matter how abstract or not talking about intuition and the truth okay if there even is a natural being an irreducible self it is rather small i think and may even be the root of all impersonation so if i'm interpreting this in the way he intended which i i don't think that i am okay that is the root of impersonation okay that's fine that's fine because maybe the 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 impulse to write fiction from what is true when i want to write about my friend paul who passed away and tell the story of what our relationship was like and boil it down and process it in a way that i can kind of understand and put on a timeline and you know have i'm not there's nothing malicious about that and it's a natural impulse so i'm impersonating a situation i'm impersonating a a version of myself and himself that i imagined in my mind in order to um, put that on a timeline 
It's not that I've named the character Paul in the story, but it's not Paul in, in who he exactly was. It was a simple variation of that. It was an impersonation. It was an impersonation of Paul. The same way the character Herman is was an impersonation of myself. And when you impersonate someone, you know it's an impersonation. You know that it's meant to copy them and that you aren't them, right? It's acting. It's not deceit. It's different than that. Deceit, the intention must be malicious, right? Let me look. I'm looking that word up, deceit. Deceit, the action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Okay. The writing fiction, then, if that if writing fiction is telling the truth via a impersonation, that is different than concealing or misrepresenting the truth. And that's why I got so angry at that fucking guy at the bookstore. Because of the deceit of the, I'm not the author of this book, you should buy it. And it's different than having a pseudonym. So, maybe I'm beginning to understand what Philip Roth is saying in this passage, right? Understanding the self, the natural being, that thing that is rather small, the thing of you that understands the truth and that's natural, it's uninfluenced by the world. Therefore, it's what's innate in all of us. The natural being may be the skill itself. That I understand. It takes work to continue to not lose sight of that natural state. The innate capacity to impersonate, I'm talking the innate com capacity to impersonate. I'm talking about recognizing that one is acutely a performer. Okay, that's fine. Rather than swallowing whole the guise of naturalness and pretending that it isn't a performance, but you and then he goes to say there is no you Maria any more than there's a me now I'm going to I want to read the beginning of this passage one more time and then I'm, I'll move on I swear I realize that what I'm describing people divided in themselves is said to characterize mental illness and it is the absolute opposite of our idea of emotional integration. The whole Western idea of mental health runs in precisely the opposite direction. What is desirable in congruity is congruity between your self-conscious and your natural being. So, another 
foray into the work of Philip Roth. Very good. Now let me read the beginning of this post again and see if there's anything there before I started, before I deviated. A sheer and utter glue stick. Fine. A turnpike, a pickerel. So we have this glue stick here. A sheer and utter glue stick. A very, very natural glue stick. Okay. Then we have a turnpike and a pickerel. So we have uh, a road and a fish, and they both happen to share similar sound, pike, pickerel, whatever. We got these fish in the road. A box of glue sticks, a horse's ass. More glue sticks and a horse's ass. Okay. The mundane <laughs> The mundane death of the pineapple pizza. So we got, we got a glue stick, we got a turnpike, we got a pickerel, there's a box of glue sticks, and then a horse's ass, and then we have a, the mundane death of the pineapple pizza. I didn't turn the heat off, it's getting very hot. Let me, let me remove my sweater, give me two seconds. Okay, we've returned. The mundane death of the pineapple pizza. And then it goes. Some other random thing. So now that's it's becoming one of these posts where it's like um, acknowledging the the itself. There's a meta component. Some other random thing. So it's starting to say I'm just listing off random shit and. Uh, and I think that collection of random shit is funny. Uh, so, so if it's funny, when do we laugh? We laugh when things are true. Things are funny when they're true. If that's correct, then there can be some truth about the assortment of these objects and how absurd they are. Some other random thing and another incongruent one. A mundane deviation. I think I know which shirt I'm going to wear tomorrow, the striped one. And so this happens a lot in the template of my posts, in which I've broken down before, where it's like, okay, weird randomness, and then... Uh, you know, images, 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 and then a, and then all of a sudden it just turns, and we go into something completely different, and it's that turn of the abstract to the reality and something mundane that has become kind of a weird pattern in all of these things. Not every time, but sometimes. So I was making fun of that a mundane deviation, and the mundane deviation is I think I know what shirt I'm going to wear tomorrow, the striped one trying to also record the diary entry of it all. 
a return to the sheer utter glue stick turnpike and pick roll. So we're talking about the structure and format of how these posts often go. Now I'm going to go back to the beginning and tie it all up with a nice bow. A return to the sheer utter glue stick turnpike and pick roll. And then it says some writing that I'm still considering. So I think the whole time I'm like playing with these pictures and abstract images and stuff. But what I really wanted to, what I wasn't through with this Philip Roth passage yet from the counter life. And, um, and there it is. And then breaking down all of that and trying to understand it. And that's gotta be the first time I've ever quoted someone in in a post. So that's, an in, it's a, why not? Why not give that a shot? And I think it's led to some things I'd wanted to talk about for sure. Now, I did stutter for a moment because I saw an email came in and it seems as though I've received Yes. <laughs> so the fellow in question has issued a refund via e-transfer of the book that drove me so crazy. <sighs> Thus concludes the saga of the person who I will not mention their name for their sake, nor the bookstore that I was at. We're square. It's all good. I get it. Now, I actually feel like I want to read the book and talk to him about all of the stuff. He would probably think I was fucking crazy. But now that I know who he is and who he's pretending to be, and the whole gamut of it all. I'm like, now I, now I almost trust you. Now I know who you are. And I'm interested in how crazy all this shit is. Now I'm ready to engage with your work. See how that happened? So when I go on, look at my own website, look at my own books, look at my own podcast, all of this stuff, you gotta look and see where's the bullshit. And where is the truth of it? Now that I know the truth about this guy, I want to read his book. I actually think I, I, now I'm interested because I know who he is, even though I truly don't know anything. <laughs> but I, I, I saw how he was with all of this stuff. And now I'm interested because I, I see the truth of it, not the bullshit. When I saw it was bullshit, I repel it. It's it's a fucking allergy. It's a human allergy to repel bullshit. And now that we've all come clean as to who we are and what's actually going on, I'd pick up the book now and I'd gladly read it. And I'd give him my time and I would I would talk to him about what I thought. I could I'd give him all the input in the world if he if he'd uh, if that was what he's looking for here to get eyes on his book and whatever his goals may be so just fascinating the whisker of minestrone all right this is a good one
The whisker of Minestrone was taken and put between the two men. They were in an argument. One of them accused the other of farting near him while on the subway. The other guy said he didn't do it. He said that guy was probably smelling his own ass. <laughs> okay. Everyone thought it was going to come to blows, but thankfully it did not get violent. The guy said he was going to sue him for $800. And that's when they went and spoke to the local rabbi who took the whisker of minestrone and put it between them. He told them to look at the whisker and to say what they saw. The fart accuser said that he did not want to say what he saw. The alleged farting guy said that he saw a tomato hair. God damn it, you idiots, the rabbi said. It's a, it's a minestrone whisker. It's a minestrone whisker, you fucking idiots. The rabbi then told the accuser to write down on a piece of paper what the fart smelled like. The guy did, and the rabbi gave that piece of paper to a third-party witness that it had nothing to gain or lose from the result of the argument. And then the rabbi told them each to go home, and when they needed to fart, to put it inside of the plastic bag and bring it back the following day. They each did that. One of the guys had to stay up until three in the morning to catch a fart. They returned the next day and gave the rabbi the fart bags. <laughs> the rabbi smelled both of them and grimaced. Give me the paper, he told the third party witness. He read the paper. It said, radish ass. You say the smart, the... <laughs> so many typos. You say the fart smelled like radish ass? The rabbi asked him. Yes, the accuser said. I smelled no such thing, said the rabbi. The accuser did not know what to say. He looked depressed. The rabbi then gave him the minestrone and told him to sleep with his face in it. And he gave the other guy the whisker and told him to put it on the subway tracks. If he did these things, all would be forgiven. The men agreed to the terms, and that was the resolution of their obscene conflict. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it again. It seems, and I always seem to, I without a doubt, maybe not every time. Generally speaking, I read these things twice. The first time I read it, it's almost a a practice run. And the second time I read it, and I don't know how it is on, on the audience end, but I feel like I'm able to picture it a lot better the second time. Something about that when I'm reading it out loud. The whisker of minestrone was taken and put between the two men. There was an, They were in an argument. One of them accused the other of farting near him while on the subway. The other guy said that he didn't do it. He said that guy was probably smelling his own ass. So he accused him of farting and he said, actually, it's you who smells, sir. 
Everyone thought it was going to come to blows, but thankfully it did not get violent. So they, these two were not the types to fight, but they were the types to sue. The guy said he was going to sue him for $800. And what did they do? They, they went to seek mediation from the local rabbi. That's when they went and spoke to the local rabbi. He took the whisker of minestrone and put it between them. He told them to look at the whisker and to say what they saw. The fart accuser said that he did not want to say what he saw. The alleged farting guy said that he saw a tomato hair. So the fart accuser, interestingly, was in denial. He was not able to articulate what he saw, the truth of the matter. Whereas the alleged farting guy said that he saw a tomato hair. Aha. So, first test. Who can articulate the truth? God damn it, you idiots, the rabbi said. It's a minestrone whisker, you fucking idiots. The rabbi then told the accuser to write down on a piece of paper what the fart smelled like. The guy did, and the rabbi gave that piece of paper to a third-party witness that had nothing to gain or lose from the result of the argument. So the rabbi said, what did the fart smell like? Write it down on this piece of paper, and then we're going to give that piece of paper to a third party. And then the rabbi told them each to go home, and when they needed to fart, to put it inside a plastic bag and bring it back the following day. They each did that. One of the guys had to stay up until 3 in the morning to catch a fart. They returned the next day and gave the rabbi the fart bags. The rabbi smelled... The rabbi smelled both of them and grimaced. Give me the paper, he told the third-party witness. He read the paper. It said, Radish ass. You say the fart smelled like radish ass? The rabbi asked him. Yes, the accuser said. I smelled no such thing, said the rabbi. The accuser did not know what to say. He, he looked depressed. The rabbi then gave him the minestrone and told him to sleep with his face in it. That's his punishment. And he gave the other guy the whisker and told him to put it on the subway tracks. If they did those things, all would be forgiven. The men agreed to the terms, and that was the resolution of their obscene conflict. The Whisker of Minestrone. That's great. I would like to write more stories like that. I think that was fun. And uh, maybe me and this book guy, it seemed like we were able to work out things on our own terms. But if it escalated... We would have to seek further mediation. I'm going to pause. I have to use the restroom. I'm drinking too much coffee. And I will return shortly. Okay. So. I will say. Last week's episode. It's Here's what I want to say. What I've noticed doing this show every Sunday is that some weeks I am have a lot more energy and I'm able to engage a lot more with things and other weeks my energy is lower and I'm, it's just not, I don't put on as good of a show. That's where the work is. 
I think, to be able to recognize, to be able to build the skill set to consistently put on a good performance each time. And I think one thing I was kind of bitching and complaining about was I was like, I hate acting. I kept saying that when I had to read my own work and stuff. And the, I feel difficult, I feel like don't know how or like acting, but if you aren't necessarily in the mood to do the show, you still have to do the show. So you have to act and you have to, maybe what's a better word than acting in my case is you have to uh, perform you have to perform and that's what I have to keep getting better at and I feel much like today's I'm, I'm pretty on it I'm looking at the word perform I want to look at the definition carry out accomplish or fulfill or present a form of entertainment to an audience. So more so, well, I see how both work, but this more specifically presenting a form of entertainment to an audience. So to perform in front of an audience, the skill set of the performer, I suppose, is what I'm slowly learning bit by bit the more I do these podcasts. Um, and I think the only other two little thoughts on it are one, you know, you talk to, um, when you think about actors and their need to be in the moment when they're in a scene, if they're somewhere else, it's not good. If they're present, it's good. I think that's pretty clear with um, a lot of schools of thought when it comes to acting. You hear that, that kind of con that as their skill set a lot of the time. Not every single one, but you know, it's, I'm sure you've heard of that before. So I, I get it. I feel like if that's if that's the work is understanding and finding the ability to do what it takes to be in the that moment, to be present that can make for a, a great that's good acting that can make for a good performance and that's also what i'm tasked to do if i so choose to continue doing this podcast which i have so chosen and will keep doing but that's the skill i'm having to learn i think that there might have been one more part to that but that's roughly the train of thought Floating in helium. My wife noticed something out the window. There was a clitoris in a fart bag. It was strange how it floated. I thought there must have been helium in it. It was the day after the rabbi was settling that dispute between those two guys. I would imagine any god worth his salt would use a lot of helium. It was a great practical effect. My wife asked me what the point of circumcision was. 
I told her it was because in the womb things were good. But when a baby is born, they had to know that things were not fair anymore. I don't know if that's the actual reason. Maybe I'll ask the rabbi. I wondered if there was ever a foreskin floating in helium. I would wonder what it represented or what meaning could be derived. Good. I'm pretty straightforward with that one. I think it works. And on this whole theme of, I suppose, fiction and bullshit and authenticity and fiction, this to me feels like the authentic enough. It doesn't rub, rub me the wrong way. There's beginning my wife noticed something out the window there was a clitoris and a fart bag so <laughs> using the image from the day the day previous these fart bags and it's floating through the air floating through the air and there must have been helium in it to do this practical effect you know and we think about these kind of biblical stories um and acts of god I suppose, and the kind of supernatural components that that come along with these telling these stories in order to get the um, cr- use the theatrics to get the point of the story across, right? The folklore, the supernatural tales of the Bible. Um, you know, the same way when we watch a Marvel show. Um, the theatrics, the supernatural, the folklore of it gets to the core of what the story is. Or it doesn't get, it, it, it's a tool used to hopefully when they're good, say something, um, some bit of truth, right? Some leaning towards some inevitable emotional catharsis. So in my mind, the stories of the Bible are no different than any fiction of the day, but the with when it comes to a religious belief, most people who are religious have to. The deal is you have to believe that it happened. That they were able to separate the ocean and walk through it and escape from the Pharaoh, that that actually happened. That there was a burning bush, that all, all of these tales, right, that it actually happened. And there's the, the separation of people who are like, well, that's clearly bullshit, I don't believe any of it. But to me, since I was a young kid, learning about religious stories, I was like, okay, it doesn't matter if it happened or not. I don't need to believe it any more than I believe uh, my Spider-Man comic books to see the truth of the story. Right? Um, That's my worldview. And that hasn't changed for a long time. That hasn't changed since I think I was six years old or so in the first grade i remember talking to my hebrew school teachers 
and telling them, I don't think this is true. <laughs> I don't think, I'm pretty sure this story is not real. And they said it, and one in specific, and who knows if this is actually what she said or just how I twisted it in my mind because it's been decades. And, and she said, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. There's something else there. And, you know, it's almost that that became uh, the most interesting idea of my life. That, that really is kind of at the core of everything I'm talking about. Is what is bullshit and also true? Um, you know, the, the Bible, any work of fiction. And yes, I'm saying the Bible is a work of fiction. I, I believe that, but that doesn't make it not relevant. There's a lot of great information there. A lot of very old stories that has, for some reason or not, lasted. Um, so, whatever it takes to, to get these images across so that we understand what they're talking about so that many people can get the effect of it all. So, it's the what's great about it anyway this is how i'm unpacking all this stuff my wife noticed something out the window there was a clitoris in a fart bag it was strange how it floated i thought there must have been helium in it it was the day after the rabbi was settling the dispute with, between those guys i would imagine any god worth his salt would use a lot of helium it's a great practical effect my wife asked me what the point of circumcision was I told her it was because in the womb things were good, but when a baby is born, they had to know that things were not fair anymore. And I think that's, I, that also is from The Counter Life, from Philip Roth. I think I'm actually still processing that book through the posts. Now I'm looking back, and I think that that's where that idea comes from. I don't know if that's the actual reason. Maybe I'll ask the rabbi. I wondered if there was ever a foreskin floating in helium. I would wonder what it represented or what meaning could be derived. I think that's that's actually a pretty important post for me. I, if I could put a, uh, if I could put a post-it note on that post, I think there's a lot of ideas in there that I'd like to continue trying to break down. I think, and I think it's the the learning the, the stories of the Bible and fiction and how that has anything to do with the fiction that we ourselves have the impulse to write versus these are the fictional tales that are told to us that are beyond our ability to to write and they were actually given to us by the highest power this is the uh, this is how the f the folklore tells us how important these stories are is that actually they're real and you're not even going to believe them but that's but they're they're incredibly real so there's that side of it right growing up with that dialogue but then also having the impulse to write your own stories and maybe 
in some way there's this kind of self sabotage self loathing and almost this your stories are bullshit because of what's come before you those are the you'll never those are are beyond human capability right those are outer worldly those are so good and anything you do will never compare and i don't need it to compare somehow you still do and i think about that guy in the bookstore working that bookstore being around all of these books these classic books from that are unattainable right 500 year old books he's looking at whatever shakespeare he's looking at all the philip roth books he's looking at every classic in the world people coming in and buying them day in day out and he want and he loves writing so this was i get that obviously and he wants to be a writer for, for whatever reason he wants to be among those names he wants to be a, a name on the shelf i get that so what does he do he invents a version of himself to live am amongst those big those great names so he can s make that a reality this kind of heroic attempt if people knew he was just the guy in the bookstore they wouldn't believe it and they wouldn't care what I imagine is the train of thought but if he could convince them he was someone else and he even went as far to put a picture of a man that was not him inside of the book then maybe he could in some way deli have deliver that performance that he is also a great author and that he has something to say that is worth the while but he's cheating the system or he's, he's cheating himself and he's cheating the audience he's trying to effectively scam his way in there and not earn it and that is why I have an e-transfer in my in, in my <laughs> that is why I demanded my money back <laughs> and got it and he sent me the money back because he knew that it was fucking bullshit. And uh, this is, I don't think, I can only imagine from the outside, I probably just look like this disgruntled fucking customer, but this is life or death to me. This is everything, man. This is sacred fucking ground. And uh, I'm not... I, I got my money back and, you know, what the fuck? What the fuck? <sighs> this is good. This is all, I'm happy with it all. Advice. Okay. My advice is to buy extra toilet paper when it's on sale. My advice is to buy extra noodles when they're on sale. My advice is to buy 
extra frozen pizzas when they're on sale. It's a way of life, always looking at the sales stickers, and it beats paying full price. <laughs> It's a good feeling knowing you've saved some cash and now you can spend it on something else. We hardly ever buy anything full price. It's boring and pointless. I hope you'll consider my advice. And if you come across any good sales in the meantime, make sure to let me know. Thank you and hope to see you sooner than later. My God, I'm a cheap bastard and when I, you know, this guy's like selling me this book and he's telling me he's going to give us a deal. If, if you buy this book, I'll knock off a couple dollars. I won't charge you the tax and whatever. I'll make it an even 20 or whatever it was for both of them. Like he could see, he knows I'm a guy who loves a deal. I wonder why. <laughs> But, um, but I went for it, not, and I knew it was a shitty deal. And I tell you, I had the fucking thought right then and there when he started, when I said no, I don't, I'm not interested in your book, and he kept pushing it, I had the thought occurred to me. I was like, I bet he's the fucking author. I had the thought. Um, and, I sh and if I was smart, if I knew myself, if I was more aligned with my intuition that in that moment I would have I would have stood by it but we were also in public Saturday afternoon my wife is like you know she's like oh that's so nice like kind of um, this guy's recommending the book she's saying nice things I didn't what kind of fucking Grinch shit would that be on my end but I fucking knew it and here we are anyway this guy knows I wanted a deal because me and my wife love deals. We're obsessed. Let me tell you another story. And let's see if this counts for a point to or against us. Friday night. We have our Shabbat dinner. Every Friday. And my mom-in-law cooks us dinner beautiful beautiful dinner every week it's truly one of the best things um of my life i can't i can't even i feel like i can't even talk about it, it makes me emotional to think about the how lucky i am to be included um in this tradition um and this week she was exhausted okay let's order in great no problem so miriam goes on the you know uber eats or whatever and we always we don't get anything off uber eats unless it's on sale there's always promotions buy one get one free save x amount of money all this kind of stuff that's the, simply the way we we don't see anything else we only use the sales that's the fun of it and we and we just like that and so she finds this one Thai restaurant and they've got um, they've got buy one get one free pad Thai pad to you 
um, green curry, and she got another dish of these kind of fried Szechuan rice balls in a salad. I never had before, but it was damn good. Um, anyway, we get all this food. It's all supposed to be buy one, get one free. And we're so excited. We're going to get double the portion. Bag shows up. We open it. What the hell? There's only one of each. This is not buy one, get one free. We write back into Uber, to the app, whatever. And say, listen, guys, the, you, you didn't give us two for one. That's not what we what we agreed to. We didn't hear back from them, whatever. We ate our meal, and we, that was as far as we were going to take it. But I knew Miriam would, you know, she can handle the stuff. And the next day, she gets a notification from them. And they comped the whole meal. They just charged the taxes, the delivery fees, and like one of the items that wasn't buy one going free or something. So they bought us the whole dinner. And then the next thing you know, we're at the <laughs> we're at the bookstore. And the next day, this guy's sending me money back. So, do I regret any of this? No. Do I feel like I'm creating an anti-Semitic vortex? Maybe. But I'm not wrong. And these are this was the... Fuck it. You know? Fuck it. This is what it is. And I don't think I fucked anyone over. Tell me if I'm wrong. Advice. All right, we got our last post today. A great allegory. I was sitting on the couch reading a book. The dog was sitting there and he let one rip. It smelled bad. Sometimes you're just sitting there minding your own business and a dog farts next to you. There's nothing to do about it. It's just what it is. One guy I was talking to recently was sitting on the toilet and he let out a fart so abrupt that it launched him into the ceiling and he had to be hospitalized. He said it was a great allegory for life in general. I really didn't understand what he meant by that. But when the dog farted on me, I think I might have understood. I think I, I think what he meant was something similar to when people say, that's life, or shit happens. Or in this case, sometimes you fart so badly that you rock it into the ceiling and bust open your damn head. I just sat there and kept reading. Because at the end of the day, what the fuck are you gonna do? A great allegory. That's probably the, lot of, lot of three fart posts this week. A lot of fart jokes, more than ever, on episode 13 of the Earwig Review. That was pretty good. I feel, I've, I'm feeling good about those posts. Now this week, I wanted to read a couple selections from a book I've owned for a long time, and I don't remember where I came across this book. 
This book is called The Poems of Catullus. Catullus is, these were written, let's see, in 80, he was born in 84 BCE. Catullus. 84 BC. Now I'm going to Google it. That was 2100 years ago. So these writings are said to be from 2100 years ago. These are some poems written then from the author Catullus. Now, again, I don't remember where I got this book, but there's, but I've always kept it. I never got rid of it, and it's such a great little thing. And I have a couple of them I want to read on the show today. Now, his are all numbered, actually, which I thought was kind of, you know, I, I have all of these posts numbered. Uh, it just, it generates them off of the, off of the, the blog that I write them on that goes on the website, joshuahillabarsky.com. J-O-S-H-U-A-H-I-L-L-E-L-B-A-R-S-K-Y dot com. Go take a look. Check out the redesign. All those posts in the middle update daily as we know. And on a side note, this week I'm hitting, I'll go to number 700. So today the last one was 697. And by midweek, I'll be at the great 700. So I'll have to celebrate that on the show next week. Now, Catullus also numbers his stories, his, his posts, his poems. And at, this book goes all the way till 116. Here's number 12. Asinius. You've an ugly way of using your left hand when we're deep in wine and jests. You pinch the napkins of unwary guests. Do you think it's smart? You're wrong, you imbecile. It's infinitely cheap and unamusing. You don't believe me? Well, believe your brother, Polio, who'd pay any sum of money to cancel facts and change back what you steal. And then in brackets, now there's a humorist with quite another idea of wit. He knows what's really funny. I warn you, at the end of bracket, I warn you, either give my linen back or mast hendicasyllables, I don't know how to pronounce that, hendicasyllables, hendicasyllables will attack. Okay, let me read again. I warn you, either give my linen back or mast Hendicasyllables will attack. It's not so much their worth that I regret. It's that the napkins are a souvenir. From friends in Spain. There's there's Sataban. Sataban. I don't know. A set Varanius and Fabulous sent me. Thus I'm bound to hold them every bit as dear as my Fabulous and Varanius. <laughs> so. <laughs> this guy... And his poems, he's so angry at this. He's just dissing this guy. And so I'd select, I wanted to read these things, these poems. And then meanwhile, 
I'm all angry at this guy at the bookstore and I have these diss poems basically set up to read and uh, I don't know I don't know what to make of it so let's try to figure this one out a bit Asinius so he's talking to this guy Asinius now I can I want to look in the glossary or the what are they calling it the the notes and I want to know no there it is the glossary they have note section and glossary who's this guy Asinius does it give us okay it says Asinius polio see polio okay seeing polio LMNO Polius Asinius a distinguished orator poet historian and critic he was a close friend of both Virgil and Horace okay so he's a distinguished poet historian and critic and we don't know who Virgil and Horace are but I wonder if we can figure it out Virgil no doesn't say who Virgil is and Horace Horace does not tell us who Horace is so those are his buddies Virgil and Horace and so he goes Asinius even ugly way of using your left hand when we're deep in wine and jests you pinch the napkins of unwary guests do you think it's smart I want to look up the word unwary. I feel like that's kind of confuses me. Unwary, not cautious, not aware of possible dangers or problems. You pinch the napkins of unwary guests. Okay, it seems redundant to say unwary guests, but I think I understand. You pinch the napkins of unwary guests. Do you think it's smart? You're wrong, you imbecile. It's infinitely cheap and unamusing. <laughs> so this guy's talking. They're drinking and hanging out. And he's like pinching the, the napkin in a way that's bothering Catullus, the writer. So I love it. You think it's smart, you're wrong, you imbecile. It's infinitely cheap and unamusing. You don't believe me? Well, believe your brother. And then polio, okay, we've... Who'd pay any sum. Well, believe your brother. Okay, then he says polio, which we've learned is actually also him. So he's referring to him again. Polio, who'd pay any sum of money to cancel facts and change back what you steal. Okay, I don't understand that. If the glossary is saying that polio is also, it's like his last name, but clearly it says polio, Asinius, a distinguished orator, whatever. Maybe they're two different guys. They it seems like two different guys. Polio who pay any sum of money to cancel facts and change back what you steal. Now there's a humorist with quite another idea of wit. He knows what's really funny. So Asinius and polio must be two different guys. He likes polio. He doesn't like Asinius. I warn you, either give my linen back or masked endicasyllables will attack. Okay, so when he says pinch the napkins, he stole them. He stole the napkins. He didn't just pinch them. He pinched them as in he stole them. Now, what is a hendicasyllable? 
H. It doesn't say. I think that's worth a look up. H E N D E C A S Y L A B L E S. A classical Greek and Latin metrical line consisting of 11 syllables, typically a spondy or trochium. So, okay, <laughs> he's saying, I warn you, either give me my linen back or I'll attack you with fucking poetry. <laughs> it's not so much that the, they're worth that I regret. He's saying that, that the napkins are a souvenir from my friends in Spain. They're sadabin, they're sadabin. I don't know what that is. Probably some kind of like the material. It's uh, S A E T A B A N. Um, yeah, it's the. It's just coming up with this poem, but I'm sure it's just fucking silk or whatever. The material. There's Sataban, a set Varanius and Fabulous sent me. I just want to look in the glossary again, and I want to check out Varanius, because I can already see in the next post, he says, the next poem, sorry, he says, no, he's not there. He starts addressing the other guy, Fabulous, who, whatever. Um, so he's, he's like, don't steal my napkins. My buddies gave them to me and they're sentimental. And if you do, I'm going to fucking write poetry at you. And uh, you're an imbecile. <laughs> so that's number 12 from Catullus. Very good. Now he's another one. This one is um, directed to Thallus. And this one was has always been my favorite for, I think, I'm counting... I would say for 15 years, I thought this is funny. It's number 25. Thallus, you punk. You're soft as a wee rabbit, or goose feathers, or an earlobe. You're as slack as a cobweb, or an old man's floppy phallus. And yet, by moonlight, you're a hard man, Thallus. When the attendants doze, you have the habit of pouncing quicker than a hurricane. Thief, give back that cloak of mine you nabbed. Give back my Thynian tablets and my handkerchief from Sadabus, which in full public view, which is which in full public view, you flaunt as your own heirlooms. Fool, unglue them from your talents instantly and hand them back, or else I'll use the whip to scrawl shame on those namby pamby paws and brand those lambskin, those lambkin buttocks till you writhe and skip and stagger, startled like a little ship caught in a big sea by an angry squall that's awesome he's just it's just like the last one he's just dissing this guy for stealing his stuff and he's just threatening him <laughs> give it back the other guy stole his napkin and this guy stole his handkerchief number 25 let me read it again one more time Thallus you punk this was my, f my favorite you're soft as a wee rabbit or goose feathers or an earlobe that line about the earlobe I thought was so funny you're 
You're as slack as a cobweb or an old man's floppy phallus. And yet by moonlight, you're a hard man, Dallas. When the attendants doze, you have the habit of pouncing quicker than a hurricane. Thief, give back that cloak of mine you nabbed. Give back my Thonian tablets and my handkerchief from Sabidus, which in full public view you flaunt as your own heirlooms. Fool, unglue them from your talents instantly and hand them back or else I'll use the whip to scrawl shame and those namby-pamby paws and brand those lambkin buttocks till you writhe and skip and stagger startled like a, sh a little ship caught in a big sea by an angry squall. Amazing. And I got one more before the end. This one's unreal. I mean, they all are, but this one. Okay, number 33. Of all our bathhouse thieves, the cleverest one is you, Vabinius, with your pansy son. The old man's fingers suffer from a heinous itch, but the boy's as grasping with his anus. Why not deport yourselves? Go anywhere. The weather's horrible, for all Rome's aware of father's pilferings. And believe me, Sonny, that hairy rump won't make you any money. That's the end. <laughs> what the fuck? He's at the bathhouse, and this guy and his kid, and he's talking about the kid's ass. And he, he's like, you think the weather's bad? Well, deport yourself. And uh, your ass won't... Mate, you couldn't whore yourself out. You couldn't... Your kid couldn't whore out his own ass. That's what this guy is saying. The ancient Catullus. So, you know. The impulse to write fiction. To do... All this stuff is nothing new. Next week, I'm gonna work on the Blue Nile and edit that thing so that I can, my goal is I'll read some of the new edit never before read on this, sh on the show uh, next Sunday on episode 14. And uh, I really want to focus on that and get it into good shape. Um, and I'm excited. I'm very excited about it. Lots to say already, but I think uh, I'll leave that to next week. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to my friends on chess.com. Uh, games are going well. Um, let's see. We got Chesterfield, Alberta, DY underscore M, Crazy Flax, Bjorn underscore Slippy, and Big Matt Ledante. Shout out to all of my um, chess.com friends. Thanks for um, thanks for all the games. And um, I think. Uh, I think let's call it there. So see you see you next week for episode 14. Thank you. All right, one more thing, one more thing. To just get this off my chest. The and this is literally just a footnote. 
from things I talked about today. I just want to put it all the rest. The only thing I want to say is that in this, there was a thought that I, I said, I think there's one more thought. I was talking about performance and acting and all that stuff. And I, and I couldn't remember it in the moment. And I, as soon as I hit the off button on this thing, I remembered. So I just wanted to see what it was. There's my voice in real life. And then there's my voice on the podcast. And sometimes I go, there's a, I go too much into the performance voice and it's not real because I'm not in that moment. And other times it sounds like my actual personality. I'm told this from my, the people who listen and who know me uh, in both worlds, I suppose. And the only thing I wanted to add was that that's where the skill set is. That's where I can measure the the skill set of my learning to perform better on these shows is how the my natural voice ends up being the most prevalent one. So all the things I talked about today, I feel like that's that's my goal. Um based on it all and uh, look forward to continuing it. Thank you again.